Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. Turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the chair uh, in front of you. Uh, you feel free to use that. But again, if you, if you don't have a Bible at home, we would love to provide you with a Bible. And so you can always see me after the service, and I can uh, get you a Bible to take home uh, with you. You know, it's been said that there are only two certainties in life. You may have heard this. What are the two certainties in life? Death and taxes, right? Death and taxes. But I want to tell you this morning that there's actually another certainty in life. It's something that we can all count on. And that certainty is the return of Christ. The greatest certainty of life is that one day, church, Jesus is coming back. Amen? The second coming of Christ is such a prominent theme in the New Testament that you can actually find references of Christ's coming in 23 out of the 27 books in the New Testament. The second coming is second only to salvation as the most dominant subject in the New Testament. So if that that being the case, don't you think we maybe need to pay a little more attention to the second coming, the return of Christ? But not only is is it important But what could be more exciting than the return of Christ? You see, the return of Christ is, again, is the greatest certainty of life. But yet, I would ask you, how conscious are we of the return of Christ? Have we become so consumed with our, our everyday routines that we don't give a second thought? To the return of Christ? I wonder, if you knew that Jesus were coming back a year from today, would you live your life any different? Would you do anything different? What if you knew that Jesus were coming back six months from now? What if you knew he was coming back three months from now? Or even one month from now? What if you knew that Jesus was coming back 24 hours from right now? Would you do anything different? I would imagine that most of us would probably list a number of things that we would do differently. So if we knew that Jesus was coming back in one of these timelines, I really believe that most of us probably would be overwhelmed with a sense of urgency, right? to get some things done. But yet, here lies the rub. As we will see in the text this morning, no one knows the time of Christ's return. And because no one knows when he will return, we must live with a greater sense of urgency. We must stop putting off to tomorrow what should be done today. 
John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist denomination, was once asked what would he do if he knew that his Lord would return at that time the very next day. And this is what Wesley said, quote, I would go to bed and go to sleep, wake up in the morning and go on with my work, for I would want him to find me doing what he had appointed. Here in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 24, Jesus wants his followers to see that because no one knows the time of his return, they must live with this great sense of urgency and they must be faithful to do all that he has instructed them to do until the time of his return. So this morning in the time that we have remaining, I want us to feel the urgency of Christ's return. And as we examine Christ's words this morning, we will see that when he does return, He is expecting to find his children faithfully doing all that he has commanded. Would you pray with me again? Father, right now, in this moment, as we proclaim your word, God, may we have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. May you be glorified in the proclamation of your word, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. So if you would, rise to your feet in the honor of the the reading of God's word. Again, Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 through 51. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two men will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Excuse me, two women, sorry. Therefore, be on alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you must also be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour which you do not think he will. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of the slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour which he does not know and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the Lord bless the reading and hearing of his word. You may be seated. I want to share with you briefly three quick characteristics of Christ's coming. When we think of the return of Christ, we see that the time of his return is unknown. Again, look at verse 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. You see, from the time that Christ ascended back to heaven to this very day, there have been many who have speculated 
about the return of Christ. There have been many who have even gone so far as to predict the date of Christ's return. But yet, as we know, all of those predictions have failed because Scripture says no one knows the time of Christ's return. So no, no, no man, regardless of what he, know, what he claims, knows the timing of his return. Speculation and predictions about Christ's return are pointless. We should not waste our time speculating about those things, most certainly not predicting them. For you see, it's not our job to speculate about Christ's return. Our job is to simply prepare for it. The second characteristic of the return of Christ is that the return of Christ will catch many off guard. It will catch many off guard. Verses 37 through 39. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. So here Christ likens his return to that of the days of Noah. So for context's sake, let us look back and, and see what, what exactly was going on during the days of Noah. In Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 6, God's word tells us, Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great upon the earth, and that every intent of his thoughts the thoughts of his heart were only on evil. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. Also in chapter 6, verses 11 and 12 tell us, Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Does this sound familiar to anyone today? You see, the world in which we're living is really not that much different than the days of Noah. How was it that the people of Noah's day missed the warnings? How did they miss the signs? Well, verse 38 and 39 give us insight to this. The Bible says, For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. How did they miss it? How did they miss the signs, miss the warnings? They were consumed with the daily pursuits of life. Therefore, they missed God's warning. They were oblivious to what was happening around them because they were focused on their own pleasurable living. Once again, does this sound familiar? Our world today, it's not that much different than the days of Noah. People today are still pursuing those same exact things. How many people have become so consumed with the pursuits of life that they give no thought to the fact that Jesus is coming again? Or even more so, how many people have ignored the warnings of judgment that are coming when Christ returns. Church, we cannot become so immersed in our current time that we forget that eternity is right around the corner. We cannot become so consumed in our own time 
that we forget that eternity is just around the corner. And just like in the days of Noah, God is giving mankind an opportunity to turn from their sinful ways. He's giving us an opportunity to prepare for his coming. But hear me, time is of the essence because his return is approaching. Verse 39, and they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. You see, those who heed Christ's warning, those who watch for the signs will be spared of the coming judgment, but those who ignore them will find sudden judgment coming before they even know what has happened. And just like in the days of Noah, those who are unprepared, when the moment comes, it will be too late. It will be too late. Because you see, Christ's judgment will be irreversible. There will be no second chance when he returns. Third characteristic of the return of Christ is that the return of Christ will cause separation. The return of Christ will cause separation. Verse 40 and 41, Then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. When Christ returns, there will be a differentiation between people. In both instances, we see one individual is taken and one individual is left behind. For when the moment of Christ's return comes, there will be no last-minute repentance. There will be no bargaining with Christ. The opportunity to follow Christ, the opportunity to receive forgiveness for one's sins when He returns will have passed. Our eternal destinations will be finalized at that very moment. You see, the choice to follow Christ is the most important choice that you can make in this life. There is no greater decision that you can make than to choose to follow Christ because that choice carries eternal consequences. It carries eternal consequences. I want you to notice here that Jesus gives an example of some just common people. You have two men working together in a field, two co-workers, seemingly nothing different between them, but we'll see there's a very big difference. You also see two women grinding at the mill. Could be a mill within a home. Could have been a mother and a daughter that he was thinking of. Again, not seeming to be much difference, but there was a difference. You see, the message here is that everyone needs to heed these warnings. The implication is is that one individual in each of these examples was prepared, while the other was not. Again, outwardly, each pair seems to be in the same condition. However, as they say, looks most certainly are deceiving, can be deceiving. At the present, both the godly and the ungodly are mingled together in this world, but that will not always be the case. For you see, when Christ returns, there will be a great separation. Spouses will be separated from one another. Parents will be separated from their children and vice versa. Siblings will be parted. Co-workers and friends will also be parted. And again, I cannot stress strongly enough to you that when Christ returns, there will be no more 
opportunity for repentance. There will not be an opportunity to change your mind or to have a change of heart when it comes to Christ. Everyone will be taken as they are, and each of us will reap according to what we have sown. Christians will be caught up to glory to experience eternal life with Christ, while non-believers will be left to face the wrath of God and God's judgment, as well as experiencing eternal life, but separated from God in a place called hell. Now, there are many today who do not believe in hell. There may even be some here that don't believe in hell, some watching online or even listening over the radio. And to that, I would like to just share with you this saying I once heard. And to borrow a a phrase from Pastor Steve, I want you to hear my heart on this church. I try to say this as lovingly as as I can. But here's the quote. Quote, you not believing in hell does not change the temperature there one degree. End quote. And again, I say that not trying to be coy or funny, but this is very serious. There is indeed a place called hell. The Bible speaks often about hell. In fact, Jesus speaks more about hell than he does about heaven. That should cause us to say, wait a minute, I need to pay attention to this. Here also, Jesus' warning, it demolishes the idea that the Bible promotes universalism. Universalism is the idea that in the end, everyone will be saved. Since God is a loving God and God would never send anyone to hell, well, hear me when I say, it is never God's desire that any should spend eternity in hell. Scripture makes it clear that hell was not created for man. Hell was originally created for the devil and his demons, not for man. The Bible also tells us that it's God's heart, it's God's desire that all men would come to repentance, that none would perish. However, the harsh truth of it is not all will be saved. There will be many who do perish. Just like in the days of Noah, the people had an opportunity to get on that ark. From the time Noah began building the ark and when the floods came, there were many years there, many decades that went by. And you can only imagine, people came up to him and said, what are you doing? What is this thing? And he had the opportunity to share with them, to warn them. Many have been given the opportunity over the centuries and will continue to be given the opportunity to avoid the judgment that's coming in the return of Christ. But not all will respond. You see, the gospel is proclaimed every day, probably thousands of times a day, all across the world. And yet, thousands of people, day after day, reject the good news of Jesus Christ. So, Knowing that Christ might return at any moment and that we don't want to be caught off guard when he comes, how do we prepare for the return of Christ? A couple of things. First, be alert. Be alert. Verses 42 through 44. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this. That if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also must be ready. 
For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. He says, be alert. Pay attention. Be ready. Be prepared. Because the hour of his return is unknown. We have to live in a state of constant readiness. For you see, to not be paying attention, to not be on alert, only invites disaster. I love how one commentator said it. He said, quote, The watching of a Christian for the return of Christ is not that of terror-stricken fear, but one of eager expectation for the coming of glory and joy. You know, it's, it's hard to believe it, but Christmas is quickly approaching. Soon, if not already, millions of people around the world will begin to decorate their homes, both on the inside and the outside, with Christmas decorations. Soon, if not already, already, which it is already already because it's playing in my wife's car, Christmas music will be played all over the radio. And as we draw closer to the time of Christmas, the excitement and the anticipation of Christmas morning begins to build, particularly in the hearts of children all around the world. And just as children grow in their excitement for Christmas morning, so too should we as Christians grow in our excitement and in our anticipation of the return of Christ. Church, Christ is coming back. We should be excited about this, but we have to be on alert. We have to look around, pay attention to what's going on, observe the times in which we live. Verses 43 and 44, but be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert, and, when he, and he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. He likens, Jesus likens his return to that of the thief in the night, again, to drive home the point that he will come when we least expect him to. At other places in Scripture, this, this um, example was also given of the return being like a thief in the night. For uh, time's sake, we won't read these, but you can write them for reference and look back later. But 1 Thessalonians 5, 2-3, through 3, Paul talks about the coming of the Lord being like a thief in the night. In 2 Peter 3.10, the Apostle Peter references the coming as a thief in the night. And then Revelation 3, verse 3 Chapter 16, verse 15, the Apostle John as well likens the day of the Lord to the returning of a thief in the night. So, if we're going to stay alert, we have to guard against the spirit that tells us that there's no need to be watching because you have plenty of time. We have to guard against this spirit that would tell us there's plenty of time. You don't have to worry about that right now. Three demons were telling Satan of their plans to ruin mankind. One of the demons said, I will tell them that there is no God. Satan said, you will not deceive many, for they know that there is a God. The second demon said, I will tell them that there is no hell. Satan said, you will deceive no one that way, for men really know that there is a hell for their sin. And the third demon said, I will tell them that there is no hurry. Satan said, go, and you will ruin them by the thousands. 
Church, by nature, we are easily distracted people. And if you don't know this already, know that Satan is the king of distractions. I love this quote from one commentator. He says, quote, The most dangerous of all delusions is that there is plenty of time. The most dangerous day in a man's life is when he learns that there is such a word as tomorrow. End quote. We must never forget, church, that our very next breath could be our last breath. We are one breath away from stepping into eternity. How can we be prepared? Be alert. But secondly, be faithful to our calling. Be faithful to our calling. Verses 45 through 41. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on that day when he does not expect him and at an hour which he does not know and will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the way, one of the ways to be ready for Christ's return is for him to find us doing what he has called us to do when he does return. He gives two examples, that of a faithful slave and an unfaithful slave. We are to be like this faithful slave who faithfully executes his master's instructions. So then that bears the question, what is it that Christ has instructed us to do until his return? A couple of quick things. First, he's called us to live out the great commandment. You know the great commandment, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And the second is what? To love your neighbor as yourself. He's also called us to fulfill the great commission, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that he has commanded us. Jesus has called us to be salt, right? He's called us to be light. Jesus told us, let your light, what? So shine before men that they see your good works, but what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. These are the things that Christ should find us doing when he returns. The master of the faithful slave said, blessed. Says, Jesus said, blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. This is a pronouncement of blessing. It's the same word, bless, blessing, as that we find in the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the peacemakers, right? Blessed are the merciful, all those blesseds. It's the same. It's a conferring of blessing. For blessing comes when there is faithful obedience. But on the flip side of that coin, unfaithfulness is met with rejection and even punishment. The unfaithful servant assumed that the master would be away for a long period of time. Therefore, he proceeded to indulge in fleshly activities. You see, Jesus indeed has been gone for a long time. And you know, the world may have many more years before he returns. However, church, this is never an excuse for spiritual laziness on our part. It's never an excuse 
for inadequate service for the kingdom of God. It's never an excuse for the believer to pursue acts of wickedness. I remember my freshman year when I was at Baylor, my father would call me. Many times he'd call me on Saturday mornings, but he would call me at 6 o'clock in the morning. So again, think about it. College student, Saturday morning, 6 a.m., the last thing you want to do is be awake. But yet my father would call me. And this is how that conversation would go. I would answer the phone, of course, sounding asleep, you know, hello. And my father, very vibrant, ¿Qué pasó, mijo? Which means, what's up, son? And I'd say, I'm sleeping, pop. And he'd be like, what? Get up. Quit being lazy. There's work to be done. I wonder if our Heavenly Father is not trying to get in touch with some of his kids and say, get up. Quit being lazy. There's work to be done. I love this quote. It says, quote, if a man is doing his duty, however simple that duty may be, on that day Christ comes, there will be joy in him. End quote. Because it's so true. There will be great joy if the Father finds us faithfully doing what he has instructed. Church, the Lord has left us with an incredible responsibility. Right before Jesus ascended, he told his disciples in Acts 1.8, we read, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you maybe will be my witnesses. Is that what it says? If you feel like being my witnesses, no. He says, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. Church, we have been entrusted with the gospel message. When Christ returns, will he find us faithfully sharing that message? The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans tells us how beautiful are the feet of what? Those who carry the good news. Those who carry the gospel. So I leave you with this question today. Are you ready for the return of Christ? We cannot live our lives like the people in the days of Noah. We cannot go about life as simply business as usual. How will Christ find you when he returns? Dr. David Platt, in his commentary on the book of Matthew, offers a series of questions for helping us to discern if we are ready for the return of Christ. And I want to share just a couple of those questions with you to consider. First, consider this. Am I keeping watch for Christ? Am I keeping watch for Christ? The return of Christ should be both on our hearts and our minds. Not in the sense that we stop doing everything that we're doing or we just take a seat in the recliner and wait for him to come back. No, there's work to be done, but yet it has to be on our hearts and our minds. You see, when Christ is continually on one's mind, you can't wait for his return. You can't wait to see him. And for every believer, that should be our heart. 
I've shared this with you before, but I'll share it again because it applies. I love that great hymn, What a Day That Will Be, right? This should be the cry of every Christian's heart. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face and see the wonder of his grace, then he'll take me by the hand and lead me to that promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. Church, if you're, if, you're, if you're a believer that's here today or watching online, listening over the radio, if you're not excited about the return of Christ, you need to take a look at your heart and ask yourself, man, where are my priorities? Where are my passions? Are they with Christ or are they with the world? Because we should be excited knowing that Jesus is coming back. A second question to consider, am I faithfully following Christ? Am I faithfully following Christ? Jonathan Edwards, the great preacher of the first great awakening, had several resolutions or goals that he had determined that he would recite to himself every week, at least once a week, for his entire life. And these are a couple of those resolutions that he made that he would say to himself, resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Resolved to inquire every night as I'm going to bed, wherein I have been negligent, what sin I have committed, and wherein I have denied myself. Also at the end of every day, week, month, and year, where I could possibly in any respect have done better. Lastly, resolve to endeavor to my utmost to act as I can think I should do if I had already seen the happiness of heaven and hell's torments. You see, the consequences of our unfaithfulness are serious. The last question, am I serving Christ with what he has given me? Am I serving Christ with what he has given me? Church, we are stewards. Just a few weeks ago, you heard Pastor Steve preaching in Corinthians about spiritual gifts. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been blessed with at least one spiritual gift, but many of you have many spiritual gifts. Those gifts were given to you to be used for the glory of God and in the service of others. So I ask the question today, am I ready for Jesus' return? Are you ready? Even if Jesus doesn't return today, No, we could take our very last breath in the coming hours. Therefore, we must be prepared to meet God. How do you do that? If you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, first and foremost, you need to turn to Him. Cling to Him. Repent or turn from your sins and trust in the gospel. The good news. Trust in the fact that Jesus Christ came, lived a perfect life, died on a cross to pay for your sins. But guess what? He didn't stay dead. He didn't stay in that tomb because three days later, he walked out of that tomb. Amen, church? Three days later, he walked out of that tomb and he defeated death in the grave and our sins were paid for. And that if we would just turn if we would just trust in Him, 
believe in him, we could be reconciled to God. For the Christian, how do we prepare ourselves? First and foremost, by walking in close communion with him. Walking in close communion with him every day. Faithfully doing the task that he has left us to do. Church, we are on the doorstep of eternity. Are you ready to cross that threshold? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Father, uh, for this word. Thank you for your word, God. God, I pray that right now, all that are here today in this room, all that are watching online or listening over the radio, if there is anyone here today, Father, that has never made that decision to place their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, today, God, stir their hearts. Help them to sense the urgency to know that eternity is right around the corner, that you could come at any moment, and they do not want to find themselves like the people of the days of Noah who were swept away for the believer today, God. Maybe who's been consumed with the things of this world, the, the, the daily stresses of life, the pursuits of life, and they've taken their eyes off of you. Today, stir your children's heart, God, to walk with you more closely to be faithful, to do what you've called us to do, to serve, Lord. To be bearers of the good news of the gospel. Today, Lord, during this invitation, God, we give this time to you and we ask you to move, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.